Um, oh, wow, wow. Who am I? Um, <laughs> big, no, question. So, <laughs> big question. Big so, um, question. So I'm Rach. I live in Easton with Pete, who you might have just seen, and Daniel, who was sat on a random box. <laughs> um, and he is nearly three. Um, wow. Which is, I know, which has very happened very quickly. Um, so, um, so at the moment, I am uh, still working for Bristol Hospitality Network, um, which I co-founded in 2008, which works with destitute refused asylum seekers, and I'm also um, still working with Refugee Welcome Homes, um, which I co-founded in 2014, which works with refugees um, and uh, lodgings in different people's family homes. Cool. So. Um how did you get to where you are now doing what you do now? Tell us a little bit of your journey. Mm, okay. Um, well, I grew up in a, in a village, and um, there wasn't a lot going on. Um, and it was very lovely and safe and, and good. But I think I always felt like there was, um, there was an edge in the world that God was calling me to that I couldn't really see very clearly in my village. So, like, you know, there was some difficult things, but it wasn't the same. And, and as I grew up, I really longed to be in, in the city. And um, so I came to Cardiff to university and then to Bristol, and then I joined Ebby. So I was here for about eight to 10 years, I think. Um, and in that time, I was very involved with, we used to do um, international student ministry here, and we had a a Globe Cafe, and I know some of you were involved in back then. Um, and so I got very involved in that. And then one year during the noise, um, we had a young Afghan lad turn up um, on Horfield Common, and he was living in a little house just near the common up there. And um, up there, and um, uh, and he um, he was um, a unaccompanied minor, so he was just 17 years old. And he came to, um, to Ebby. He came to our international cafe, invited by possibly Sarah or Stu. Anyway, um, and turned up randomly at the Globe Cafe, which was unexpected because normally we had sort of uh, Chinese and um, Asian students, and it was very, very, very different vibe than a 17-year-old Afghan lad, Muslim very much um, a kind of new kettle of fish for us. And I think that was really the start for me of engaging with people um, who are seeking asylum. And um, I got very involved in that, Rosemary and Adrian. Actually, Adrian came to court with us to try and defend him as if he was a lawyer, um, which unfortunately didn't work. Um, but. He did try very, very hard to defend him. And, um, and, we, and we tried what we could. And in the end, he was deported to Afghanistan. Um, and um, so anyway, up, update for Ebby is that he is OK. And he now lives in Italy. And he has a wife and two little kids. Um, so he's OK. Uh, but he ended up having to come back out of Afghanistan a number of times before he was able to be safe. And so I've seen this journey with this young lad, you know, and that was a really big part of, of my journey, walking with him and alongside him through that period. And, um, and so after uh, a few months of knowing him, we ended up trying to get him involved in refugee sector stuff. We didn't know anything about it at the time. I wasn't involved. Um, but um, we got him down to Bristol Refugee Rights, and that was the beginning of my involvement in, 
refugee and asylum seeker stuff, really. Um, and very soon after that, maybe a few years after that, it would have been 2008, um, I, well, just before, maybe 2007, I read a book, very dangerous. Um, and, um, and it was a book that a lot of people read around that time called The Irresistible Revolution. And um, it was about kind of living into communities, not necessarily staying in, um, in wealthier areas of town, but moving into communities. And I said to the Lord, ah, oh, you must mean me to move into, you know, some slightly, you know, different area of Hallfield. And um, this must be it. And I came to Ebby and I said, it must be it. This must be it. And, um, and we prayed and, and we thought and we put some stuff out and it just didn't land. And I was like, what is this God? You know? And I took myself away to stay with some nuns. Um, and um, they, they were all, you know, they were, they were still alive. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, they lived in a, a very beautiful place in Somerset. And um, I think it's closed now. I think the nuns moved in with the monks. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Uh, so, um, but um, they were very, very helpful to me. And we, pr we prayed together and we thought about things. And I, and I walked across to the nearest town and got into a library and printed out the indices of deprivation of Bristol. Um, and I prayed about every area that was in the, um, in the indices of deprivation. And, um, and I felt the Lord say, these three areas, and um, pray into these. So I did that. And um, anyway, I ended up moving to... Sorry, it's a long story. Carry on. Uh, okay. I ended up moving to Easton, and um, that was um, quite amazing, because having gone through this long journey of trying to work out what it was God was asking me to do, <laughs> um, when I finally said, yes, this is it, I'm going to Easton, I spoke to a number of different people, and every single connection suddenly went bum. So it was like everything had been a block for, for quite a while. I mean, I was relatively young and I was impatient. But anyway, uh, the blocks were many. And the, when it came to the point where I was like, this is where I'm going, it was like everything was perfect. So I had two friends that said, oh, we've been praying about that. We want to move into a community house in Easton. And I went, great, can I move in? And they said, yes. And then we got a house, done. So that was very quick. That took about a month. Yeah, and, um, and then um, we were praying together in that house, and literally a month after that, we, um, we had this um, call from a friend of ours, and she said, this was the end of 2008, she said, we have been thinking, she was volunteering at Bristol Refugee Rights, and she'd seen a lot of destitute, refused asylum seekers, and she was like, oh, we must do something about this, because there's no accommodation. So we're giving, it's like food parcels, you know when you run on North Bristol Food Bank, probably find this you know you're giving out stuff and you're like where's the root cause how are we we're, we're giving out stuff but the people are still being chucked in the river mm. upstream and we can't challenge that thing and so that was the question you know, how do we accommodate people and challenge the causes of destitution how do we help both of those things happen and so she called this meeting and we went to cafe kino and we had a nice coffee and it was very nice. I think it was a coffee. Anyway, but very nice. And um, in that meeting, we said we're going to make an organisation. We didn't want to do anything too big. We were like, ah, we'll just be a group of friends that host people in our own homes. That'll be easy. And uh, so we started. And I said I'd help her coordinate it. And so that's where BHN came from. So 
um, Bristol Hospitality Network form, formed on that day, really, and came out of that, and we started hosting different people. And then we were offered a house, 12-bedroom house. I think some of you have been there and done some DIY over the years and fixed things up and painted and things. And, and that house is still... We're still using that house for free. We're supposed to pay a pound a year. I don't know if we've ever paid it, actually. <laughs> we're in arrears with our rent. Um, but anyway, uh, and uh, so, um, so we've got this house, and we've been using that as well. And I, it's... Um, it's grown and grown and grown, and what we've been able to do increasingly is try to tackle some of this root cause stuff. So housing is still, like, that was the priority need. So the, the food was great, the clothes were great, everything was good, but people needed somewhere to live first because those things were only scratching the surface of helping until there was accommodation. So it's a bit like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs... It's a triangle. Social workers like it. And um, uh, so, anyway, at the bottom is this stability accommodation thing. And that, so it's really vital. If you've got that, then you can build on the top, layer on layer on layer, and things can get better. Um, but it really was necessary to do that. But having done that, we were like, oh, but they're still destitute, and they don't need to be. Because people come to the UK and claim asylum. Sorry, I'm going to tell you this now. It's come to my mind. Okay. Uh, people come to the UK and they claim asylum. At the moment, lots of people are coming in boats. Previously, they used to clamber underneath a truck and maybe put a couple of bits of wood under the axle and cling on for dear life. Okay? Before that, sometimes they would climb onto the top of a Eurostar. Okay? Yeah? Sometimes they would hide inside a refrigerated lorry and the oxygen would slowly come out of it and sometimes they would live. Okay? So the way that people come has always been dangerous, and it remains dangerous. It's dangerous on the sea, and it's visually dangerous, but it's the same. And the numbers of people have crept up over the last two years, but previously they were pretty stable for about 10 years. So there wasn't very many people coming to the UK to claim asylum. So the few that did come, which um, I think last year was 60,000, and the year before was 35, 40. So it's gone up post, there was a little dip in the pandemic, and then it's gone back up again. And now it looks like it might be heading up towards 70, 75 for this year. So the, the numbers are higher, but we had 87,000 applicants in 2008. And we coped perfectly fine, and now apparently it's a crisis. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox for a second. But anyway, um, so when people come, they claim asylum, they're entitled to do that under international law, a law that we wrote with lots of other people after the war, because in the Second World War, there was no way that we could take people from anywhere else in the world, because there was no rule, no system. And so we said, that's not okay. We let all these people die. We could have brought them to the UK and saved them, and we could, had we had a refugee convention in the war, but we didn't have one until after the war. So lots, lots more people in the war were put in internment camps and died than needed to. And that was because we didn't have a refugee convention. But we do have it now, which is great. International law, all approved. So we can have people come, claim asylum, um, get the sanctuary that they need. And it's very straightforward. It says under what conditions you can claim asylum and be granted. So. Um, when people come, they claim asylum, and then they wait for the Home Office to decide their claim. Well, it used to take two or three months. Then it took six or seven months. Now it takes about two years. Okay? And in that time, you're not allowed to work, you're not allowed benefits, you're not allowed anything. Okay? You have a special accommodation provision, um, which um, they, they sort of go around saying is quite nice. Or they go into a hotel. Well, I can tell you, I've been to one of those hotels. 
and um, I would not want to live there. And we have a number of people that are living in that hotel, part of our church in Easton, and um, maybe 30 of them. Actually, it's been really weird because our church has suddenly turned into an Iranian fellowship. Um, which is lovely, but um, completely bad, completely mad. <laughs> so anyway, there were about 30 people, and now there's about 60 people, and 30 of them are asylum seekers. Um, and so that's a real challenge. So we're, we're kind of facing that wonderful, isn't it, what the Lord does, and then you kind of go, blimey, how do we manage that? So anyway, so it's a, it's a good thing. But anyway, so, we're, so I'll go back to my story. So, um, so when people claim asylum, they can be granted. Most people are. But some people are not, and they're refused. And if they're refused, they lose even the hotel accommodation, even the £38 a a week to live on. Some of the people in the hotel have only got £8 a week at the moment. Apparently, they're fine because they're living in a hotel, so they only need £8. But you can only take one bus journey with £8, so that means you could do one thing a week. Otherwise, you live in your room. Okay, so then when they are granted, they're allowed to live in the UK, refugees. And you'd think, oh, that's good. They're allowed to work. They're allowed benefits. They're allowed to rent. They're allowed to go to a hospital and other things that they're not really allowed to do before. Um, And you can maybe give birth to a baby without being charged £10,000. How lovely. Um, But um, at that point, people don't even have very immediate access because there's not enough housing. And we know that because the whole city's facing that. It's a really big deal. And um, it's a really significant problem. And if you're a landlord and you think, I've got this person that speaks English, and they've got parents, and they've got a guarantor, and they've got, you know, maybe they can pay a couple of months rent in advance. And then on the other hand, I've got this person who doesn't speak much English, and who's got no money in their bank account, and has only actually just opened it last week then the landlord will nearly always go for the person who's got the resources, the person that seems a safe bet. So it's really hard for people to find private rented, and they mostly can't afford it because they start off not working. So that's where refugee welcome homes came in. But I'm going to come back to that because I forgot about destitution. Anyway, sorry, quickly. So what happens if you're refused? If you're refused asylum and you lose all your support, you've got nowhere to go at all, that's where BHN comes in, Okay. So no housing, no hotel, no money, no nothing. At that point, people can make another asylum claim, and they mostly do, and they mostly get granted. So BHN, since 2008, we've hosted 250 people um, who otherwise would have had no accommodation, finance support, not allowed to work, nothing at all. Um, And so I really think that is a beautiful thing that a lot of people in the church, the body of Christ in this city, have done for people that otherwise would have been in real difficult difficult times. And so I, I really am thrilled that we've stepped up, and I really am frustrated that that situation exists at all. Why, why should we have a policy, a law that says this should be the case? Crazy. So we challenge that law because it's not fair. It's an unjust law, and it's a very unbiblical position to hold. Um, and uh, so there's, there's a whole Old Testament full of explanations of justice and what it looks like. And it always says, for the fatherless, for the widow, for the orphan, for the stranger, for the foreigner. 
So God's message of justice is a message of justice for the person on the edge, whoever they are. And our brothers and sisters that seek asylum are those foreigners residing among us. And we definitely do not treat them as our native born because by policy we exclude. By policy we make them destitute. By policy we make them suffer. And um, so I think it's a really horrendous policy situation, but a lovely church response to that. But let us not forget to sometimes prod our MP <laughs> about that policy and that law, which is wrong. Okay, so when BHN hosts somebody, we support them to make a fresh asylum claim. That means they can go back into the asylum system, they can, they can apply again with some new evidence. Maybe they didn't have evidence before, they didn't know how the UK works. You know, we like paper. In most countries, they don't bother with paper much. And so to find that paper, you have to understand this is the, the way it works here. You need paper. And then when people realize that, they go, oh, I'll get paper. They go and get it. They make a fresh claim. They get granted. So of our 250 people, we're either still working with them or 86% got leave to remain. Okay? So that means that they were made destitute, but they had a claim. Okay? Which makes it even more, what's a suitable word? <laughs> Unjust. Okay? Um, so, BHN, we have been doing that. And we've also had a welcome centre, which is based in the church. So when, when I left Ebby, going back to that, I left Ebby, sent out to Easton in this, uh, maybe quite, took me a long time to leave, because I loved you a lot. And um, I still do. It sounded like I'd stopped. Anyway, I do. Uh, and um, anyway, so I was sent out by you, thank you very much, and prayed into Easton. And it was a really um, prophetic thing to do, actually, because um, as I went to Easton, there was a church with like, you know, 25 English people in it, and, um, and I joined, and I was pretty much the youngest one, um, apart from the youth group. Anyway, and uh, so that was, that was great, and I was there for um, a couple of years, and doing hosting people in my own home. So over the years, I've hosted 43 people, I think. Um, so of those, some of them said, can I come to church? So I said, yeah. So they came. And um, we grew a little kind of community of mostly Iranian, some Afghan, some Kurdish um, asylum seekers, and then refugees, most of them got granted, who came to church. And that's the baseline of us suddenly becoming, apparently on Telegram, we're the Iranian fellowship. Little did we know. We're not on Telegram. And we don't speak Farsi, so, you know, well, I can speak a bit, but I can't read anything. Anyway, um, so, um, so, yeah, so that's what happened with church, and that's kind of been a parallel journey as well. So, um, a really interesting combination of getting involved in, in living in Eastern, seeing this need, getting involved in hosting, then kind of becoming, I became the manager of BHN in 2014, um, having worked in Bristol Refugee Rights for three years, and, um, and then I've, I've led it until till now. And uh, on Friday, I had my leaving due, which is um, something that I haven't actually left yet. But anyway, I've had the leaving due because there was an excuse for a party, so we thought we'd have it. Um, so, um, so, so that's quite a lot of my life and my kind of um, uh, my journey has been very involved in that. And then. Um, in 2014, I also started this Refugee Welcome Homes organization, and we were just, we had a couple of houses, and we put some uh, people that got refugee status in there. We were not very good at rent collection. 
So um, anyway, it wasn't our calling to be rent collectors. Can you imagine me as a rent collector? Not good. Anyway, uh, but we were very good at helping people and supporting them and helping them like integrate and get resettled and everything. So with Refugee Welcome Homes, we decided we'd stop doing the rent collection bit and we would move to lodgings. Um, and so we, we, after the pandemic, we all three of us had babies. Anyway, after the pandemic, we started again and, um, and we said, right, we're going to do it as lodging. So people can have a refugee person come and live with them in their home, paying rent, having their room, just like any other lodger. You know, you have a sort of student lodger or any other kind of lodger. Um, but it makes it affordable for people to pay rent, which otherwise is not. And it means that people can live somewhere when many landlords for houses of multiple occupancy won't touch them because they don't seem like a, they don't speak English or they're not very, um, but a lot of them do speak English actually. But um, so that's what Refugee Welcome Homes has become. So we're very much looking to that support to build a kind of network and a, um, a kind of movement of people being um, open to people living with them in their own home. With BHN, we can't pay any money to anyone who's hosting. So it actually becomes quite difficult. We're paying a lot of money for our bills right now, right? So it becomes quite difficult. If you can afford to have someone live with you and not charge them any money and then have a shower, you know, like use your electric and gas is what I mean, um, then, um, then do that. And if you can't afford to do that um, and you've got a spare room, but actually you could have a lodger and you're thinking I might have a lodger, then do it with refugees because it's a very, very straightforward thing to do and we are here in Refugee Welcome Homes to try and support people to do that. So all of the wraparound for that person that lives in the home is all handled um, and so we can, we, that's what we're, we're needing support for, to have the staff to support those people who, um, who are living in, in lodgings across Bristol. Um, so that's what we've developed Refugee Welcome Homes into. So I've sort of transitioned in my journey um, through destitution and then um, to refugees as well and involved in both of those. And, um, and then Pete and I got married and we had Danny, wonderful and um, unexpected, actually, because when I left here, I thought that was it. I wasn't going to have any. I wasn't going to get married. I pretty much decided that was the end. Was that was the end? <laughs> and um, anyway, and then and then I met Pete. I had to wait for him for three hours on our first date. Perseverance pays off. <laughs> but anyway, well, he's not here, is he? That's okay. He didn't hear that. Um, uh, but um, anyway, we we did get through that, and we got married. And it was lovely. And we've got um, Danny, and now we are going to foster to adopt. So um, we feel like we can do that, and it's um, God's calling to us now to put some effort into that side of things. Um, and as I was thinking about that, I was feeling my journey with BHN, I've taken it to where I think I can, I can go. Um, I know myself and where I get to the point where I've built something and it needs to be continued by someone. I'm not that excited by just doing continuing. I like starting and I like building. And um, so I think I felt like the time had come to allow that to be taken on by someone who has the, you know, the, the full-time time for it. And I haven't got full-time time. Um, so I'm not just going to take a year off. I am leaving BHN. And a new director called Mijanu 
interesting name, I think she's Dutch, um, is going to take over. And she's lovely, and I've met her, and I think it'll be absolutely fabulous um, for BHN to have someone, lots, she's lots of ex more experienced than me, so um, to take it on into the future. Um, but it's been just such a, an amazing thing to be part of from the beginning and to see it grow and, um, and to create a, a kind of culture of loving welcome that I think is in the pattern of Jesus in, um, in what we've done in BHN, but also how we've had our, our welcome center in the church, which I think will stay there. Um, and, um, and I think it's just such a powerful thing to hear in the middle of this, it's not this church, but in, in the middle of our church, with all the signs, you know, the kingdom, the kingdom is near, and, and all of these you know, brilliant pictures on the wall, and there in the middle of it is people of every nation um, and every language. And, um, and it's like revelation. Yeah, and, um, and I just think it's fab. And so I, I think that we've created this beautiful thing and it can fly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it fly um, and then go away and take my year out or two or however long it takes with the fostering adoption thing and come back to refugee welcome homes, which I'm also leaving in good hands while I'm away. So, um, so I think that, that is, that's my long-term plan. Sorry, did I answer your first question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In a long-winded way. No, that's it's. Um, I can listen to you for days, Rach. Um, genuinely, um, it's, really, it's not going to be days. Really, really encouraging to hear how you've got there. I remember um, you spoke at Ebby, but I think it was in COVID. So you're on video, and you talked about um, a bit about your journey, about how like the next step of it all, and you didn't kind of go from having your first thought to leading BHN and that's always really stuck with me that you know God was inviting you to stick your toe in the water or you know take the next step that's um yeah I've always remembered that and I yeah I really like that sometimes we kind of look at people like you <laughs> or you know like where you're at and kind of assume that the journey was easy and it was kind of God said this and then you are here, but um, yeah, I love the way God does stuff like that. Um, what do you want to do now? I think if God had told me what I was going to do, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. 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 So it's best not to know and yeah, just yeah, do yeah. one little thing. Yeah, a bit like leading church. <laughs> um, what do you want to do now? Well, um, I was, there were two choices. I like to offer a choice. Um, so um, we, Having, I basically said, I think, what I want to say, mostly. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and um, so that's handy. That happened randomly. Um, but um, at this point, I really wanted to have an opportunity to have a think um, together and talk together with each other. Um, and so I don't know whether you want to get into little kind of clusters around where you're sat. Um, but I think the, the questions I have are, um, is there something new? So you can think about any of these. Is there something new you've heard that I've said that surprised you? Um, and do you have a kind of reflection from that sense of surprise? Is there something that's made you think? Um, and, and what is it? Um, and if, if I didn't make you think at all, it's perfectly fine. Um, and, um, and then the, the other thing that I wanted to think about was... Um, little bit on that theme of what's the, the what's the toe in the water so for each one of us I always believe that God is when we come to listen 
to the nudge and the quiet voice of Jesus in the world, which is our kind of constant calling. But as we come to do that, what's the next thing? And it is um, something to pray into and something to think into, but also just to, to talk about and reflect about together. So for some people in Ebby, I know that there are people that have started um, with the Homes for Ukraine scheme. Um, which is fab. I may have seen some of you on our Refugee Welcome Homes training. Um, but um, is there something beyond that? Is there something after that? Watch the nudge. Where's the toe in the water for you? Because for each one of us, I think God has, um, has a, a kind of a nudge for us today. That's my sense as I um, prayed about this this morning. And I feel like it's worth thinking that out. So maybe you want to spend some time um, sitting and thinking and praying, or maybe you want to spend some time talking with some people near you about what's surprised you, and whether whether you felt that nudge, you want to talk about that with someone else. I don't want to force people to do that. Um, and the other thing I have is a number of different um, passages of scripture, um, which are scribbled on a paper. Hopefully, you can read my my writing. Um, so if somebody, if, if for you it feels like, actually, I want to see what the, what the scripture says about this, I want to think about that and dig into that, um, then I am really happy to kind of have a, a little cluster of people that would like to do that um, together. So is that okay? So that three different options? Yeah. One on your own, one in a group chatting, or, or ten groups or whatever, and then, and then a little Bible reflection. Yeah. Do you, Rach, do you want to like hang out there? And if people want to... Ben really wanted the Bible, didn't you, Ben? Do, do, do that. Um, but yeah, like Rach said, if you want to chat with people around you or you just want to kind of take um, a bit of space to pray and ask God, like, what, what are you saying specifically to me right now, then um, we'll do that for a bit of time and then maybe we'll, we'll come back and if um, you have questions or thoughts that you want to say out loud and Rach will respond to those and... We'll pray together. Briefly. I shall try and do briefly. Sorry. Don't have to do the half hour answer to one question again. <laughs> the, the kids and carol singers will be back at some point. So, um, yeah, does that sound all right? Cool.